Um, anyways, as we dig into our chapter this morning, we're going to be in Second Corinthians chapter 3 is where we're picking up. And it's a short chapter, and most of the guys that I know that teach through the Bible like this actually lump chapters 3 and 4 together. But I think there's stuff to dig into here this morning, especially towards the end of our chapter. You guys remember what we left off with in chapter 2? That we are the fragrance of Christ. That, that we should smell like Jesus when we spend time with Jesus. We talked about it quite a bit in our growth groups, if you're in one of those this week. We talked about the fragrance of Christ and how to maintain that. And I think Paul kind of expands on that and ties the end of our chapter back to that today. So let's, let's pray and then we'll take a look at it. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for um, the freedom to gather, Lord, that we can do this without fear and um, any anxiety. But Lord, there is a bombardment of distraction and um, concerns and um, responsibilities, Lord, different things that weigh on us, different things that distract us like websites and all of that. And Lord, we just ask that you would focus our hearts and our minds on you this morning, that you would be our teacher, Lord, and that you would speak to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. He says, do we begin again to commend ourselves Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. Easy enough, right? Lots of times, I do think it's beneficial to kind of get a big picture view of our chapter and read through the whole thing and then come back and and break it down. I'm going to trust you guys have done that today in preparation for our gathering. Um, But if you haven't, I think we're okay just kind of going verse by verse and explaining this one as we go. And Paul begins with this question of commending ourselves. He says, do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation for you? If you don't know, that's all an epistle actually is, is a letter. And this whole idea has been out of our common language for some time. Actually, up until the last two years, you wouldn't have heard the idea of presenting your papers. Um, validating who you are or who you say you are or what you say you can do, that you're qualified to do what you say that you do. We might think of it today as more of a letter of recommendation that you might write for somebody or even licensure to validate your credentials. Um, Paul is saying, are, are we at a place where we have to show you our papers or show you that I have the recommendation of others, or an official transcript, or ministry license, or ordination, or that I would need those things from you to validate my ministry. 
Paul says, that's baloney. That's what you guys are, Paul says. In the second verse, you are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. More than any letter ever could, or piece of paper ever could, that's what an epistle is, again, is, is, is just a letter. But Paul says, that's what you guys are. You, church, are the validation of our ministry. That we have a true calling from God, and that it was given by the Lord, and that it has been fully blessed by the Lord. There's no denying that, because look, you're the proof. Clearly, he says, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And Paul goes deep here. If you break that down, he says, you guys are my epistle. Well, then he says, but it's, it's not my epistle. You are an epistle of Christ. He's the author. And you're... You're not a letter that was written in ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. I guess Paul maybe was the pen or the tool that was used by the Holy Spirit working through him. An epistle not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, the heart. Now, again, Paul goes on pretty deep in this chapter, comparing the Old Covenant to the New, and he mentions tablets of stone and tablets of flesh. And I just want to show you that this church under the new covenant, and us actually, as a part of the new covenant, was prophesied about long ago, long before Paul said these words. In the book of Jeremiah, we read, but it is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. How was the law originally given to Moses? On tablets of what? Stone, right? The Ten Commandments. But, as we'll see as we go through this chapter, the law always fell short. How so? You might ask, if the law is perfect, how in the world could the law fall short? Oh, man. Keep praying, guys. The, the law makes us aware of the standard. How many of you guys drove past the speed limit sign today? You all drove a road past a speed limit sign today. That's, that's the problem when we ignore the law. That's our society. There's a difference, though. When you see that sign, there's an awareness of the law And then when you see the law enforcer, you know, you have a a different response to that. The law makes us aware of what the standard is and shows us how and where we fall short. And it's the law that proves that every single one of us is a sinner. And that includes you guys watching online or watching in the future, and it includes me. The problem with the law is that even though it gives us the standard or the bar to measure ourselves by, it provided absolutely nothing to empower us to follow the law. So humankind has a 100% failure rate when it comes to being sinless. Let's read on. 
verse 4, he says, And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Uh, I'm going to start my timer now, okay? I'm just a couple, two more hours. No. Um, we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Now, what Paul writes here, I think he actually writes it for a couple of purposes. We talk about some prophecies having a, a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment, and, and I think it is the same with application sometimes. I think he was always, especially when he was talking to the Corinthian church, trying to balance his apostolic authority with humility. You know what? Needing to validate who he was, at least with that one church, and then showing us humility and, and heart of a pastor. And saying, you guys are my epistle, could have been received as, I saved you guys. Or you owe your Christianity to me. So Paul, I think, hits that preemptively here by saying, we aren't sufficient in ourselves. Our usefulness, our fruitfulness, our ministry doesn't come from us at all, Paul says. But our sufficiency is from God. And then there's another reason why I think it's there, and I think that applies to us. <clears throat> because it actually applies to some of you that I talked to this week, or this past week. We think at times, I'm not good enough to be used. Or, you know, I'm not even sure if I really have that gift, or, or any gift. Or, I'm not ready. All of that stuff is true, guys, if our sufficiency is in ourselves. If your sufficiency is in true, then yeah, or is in you, then yeah, you're, you're not ready. I know all of those things about myself. Those of you that know me well, you know all of those things about myself. And if my sufficiency was in me, I would never, ever come up here. I'll give you another reason, though, I think it's in there, and this applies to some of you that are serving and have been serving and, and have been faithful in your service. But you're pretty comfortable where you're serving in the ministry that you're in. And you've got, you've got your routine down and, and you're good. You've got this. And then I think Paul would say, then probably you're not in deep enough. Part of your sufficiency is, is in you again. When we go out to Nicole's parents' camp in the summertime, if it happens to be one of the two or three days in the summer in Maine that it's warm enough for me to swim, um, I like to hang out in the area in the water where I can reach my feet down and touch bottom. I'm pretty comfortable there. I can swim. It's, it's not that. Um, but I like being where I can touch bottom. Uh, Nicole and Susan, they're always floating around in like the 15-foot area. I'll go out for a while and then come in and they'll be, hey, let's swim across the pond and, and just keep going. But I like being where I can keep my feet on the ground. But when it comes to ministry, when it comes to serving God, our sufficiency is supposed to be completely in him, where we're out over our heads and we can't touch and our reliance is fully on him.
because our sufficiency is in God, not us, then we walk in the confidence of our calling, this ministry that he's given us. We are who he says we are, not who we feel like we are. And who cares if you think you're ready or not? Verse 6 says, Who also made us sufficient. God did that. Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The Spirit of the new covenant brings life. It brings spiritual life. The new covenant is one of grace. It's one of forgiveness. It's one of mercy. Verse 7 says, But the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which was passing away. The ministry of death, it says, written and engraved on stones. It sounds so harsh, but if you read the story in Exodus, and I, I know some of you just made it through there. If you're reading through the Bible with us daily, you just made it through there, and you'll remember Moses going up onto Mount Sinai and receiving these two tablets of stone from God. In Exodus 31, it says, And when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And if you read the story or if you didn't, Moses then brings these tablets down and connects with Joshua. And as they're approaching the people, they hear this loud uproar. And Joshua hears the shouting and says that there's, there's the sound of war coming from camp. And, and they continue on and get a little closer. And Moses says, no, no, that's not the sound of war. It's, it's, it's not a shout of victory and it's not a cry of defeat. Those knuckleheads are singing. It's not an exact translation. You can read it in Exodus chapter 32. And I encourage you to do that. When they get there, the people are singing. They're singing and they're dancing around this golden calf that they made to worship. They thought Moses was taking too long up on the mountain with God, so they made their own God to worship. And Moses, Moses flips his lid. And he actually takes that golden calf and he burns it. And he he goes beyond that. If you read it, he, he actually grinds it to powder, mixes it with water, and makes them drink it. More significantly, he took those two tablets of stones that was written on with the finger of God, and he smashed them. Why did he do that? He was mad. I just told you guys that. He was mad. That was part of it, but why else did he do it? Because it was the ministry of death. If you were to violate the law of God, you were to be put to death. There was no provision there for life. When Moses saw what the people had done, they had broken the first two commandments on those tablets. You shall, ne- you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall not make for yourself a carved image. Any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. That means no golden calves. And they broke both of them. So Moses 
broke the tablets after rebuking them harshly. And, and he goes back up on the mountain and, and spends some more time with God. And, and the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone, Moses, like the first ones, and I'll write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. And Moses received the tablets. And, but the Lord now gave him laws of sacrifice with the law that allowed for the shedding of the blood of an animal as a temporary covering of sin because the law couldn't save on its own. It could only bring immediate death. So Paul continues here in our chapter in verse 8. He says, How will the ministry of the Spirit, spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, evidenced by the glowing face of Moses, if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory um, that excels. For if what if passing away was glorious, that which remains is much more glorious. If the old covenant that was fading was glorious, he says, not done away with, it was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, then that which remains is so much more glorious when God writes his law on our hearts, tablets of flesh. The person of the Holy Spirit leads us and directs us through the filter of the word of God. I'm not sure this next one's going to work. Oh, I did. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. So most of us, or maybe if you guys just read through the story of Moses, we read that in the book of Exodus and we think he covered his face because the people of God couldn't stand to see the glory. From, from the radiance that Moses had from spending time with God. And Paul says, no. Moses, the, 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 va- the, the veil or the mask was not worn in boldness at all. It was to cover up that the glory was fading, that it was passing away, as Paul writes. And most of the Jews in Paul's time, as Paul's writing this, couldn't see it, that the ministry of Moses was fading away with the the presence of Jesus and the new covenant. Verse 14, it says, but their minds were blinded. All all of our Old Testament prophesies about a Messiah coming. And Paul says their, their minds were blinded for until this day, the same day remains unlifted. And we can say that today. It's true in Paul's day, and it's true in our day. But, in their, but, in their mind, but their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains, unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, you're going to have to change that slide for me. Verse 15. But even to this day when Moses is read, the veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Guys, this is, 
why it's so difficult. If you've ever tried to witness to a Jewish friend, it's so difficult for them to see that Jesus is the Messiah. Actually, there's a, there's a veil on the heart of the Gentile today. There's a great big N95 over their hearts that can be removed only by Jesus. That means that your most important tool, some of you guys need to hear this, that have been frustrated sharing your faith and, and not having a response. Your most important tool, your, your most effective strategy in trying to evangelize or share your faith, share, your God, share the gospel with friends is prayer. That's what this says, that the Lord takes the veil away. Right, so pray for your friends. Pray for your, your unsaved neighbors. Pray for your family members that need to come to the Lord. Pray, pray, and pray, and then share the gospel. And continue to pray. It's the most effective thing that we can do in sharing our faith because it's the Lord that removes the veil from their heart. Last week, Paul said that we are the fragrance of Christ. And I want you to look at the picture that he paints here in these two verses. Verse 17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Isn't that awesome? I'll read it again. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom. But we all, 18 please, but we all with unfailed Unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. I'm going to try one thing here, guys. Isn't that awesome? Contemplate on it for one moment. There's a ton there. I think we're good. Um, we are being transformed, is what Paul's saying. Actually, this is one of the verses that didn't print. Let me read it again. You can see it up there. It says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. We're being changed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. I want to read it to you in the New uh, Living Translation. I think it makes it plainer, okay? So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord, okay? All of us that the Lord has removed that veil, we know that Jesus is the Messiah. He's our Savior. All of us can see and reflect the glory of the Lord, and the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Have you guys ever had a friend that started to change in kind of quirky ways? Just out of the blue, maybe they started laughing different, or they started using expressions that they never used before? Yeah, right. True that. Whatever it is, you know? Roger that. Maybe they started speaking with an accent that they didn't used to have. I don't mean like a French accent, but, you know, y'all or, or whatever. And you can tell something has changed or they've been spending time with someone else. 
And through spending time with a, a different friend or a group of friends, it started to affect them. It started to change them. Now they're acting like them, maybe looking like them with a change of style or a change of fashion or, or their hair has changed color or, or whatever. They're, they're, they're becoming like them. Well, what Paul is saying is, is that's, that's what happens to us or that's what should be happening to us when our veils are removed or our masks are off. We're being transformed over time. When people look at us, they will begin to see Jesus. It says in this version, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And, and that might sound too extreme for us to grasp. Have you guys ever noticed a reflection in a piece of glass? If you guys look at this office window over here, when the, when the lighting's just right in here, you can look into that glass and it'll light up this office up here, not the nursing mother's room. Don't make the deacons poke your eyes out. This, this window up here, you can look in there and you can see, sometimes you look and it's like, well, where is, where is that coming from? And it's, it's an image that's projected in that glass. And that's sort of what Paul is, is talking about. I should have had Matt do this. Matt's our local blacksmith by trade, but do you know what he is by training? He's a sculptor. A sculptor, I am not, okay? But if I were, if I were a sculptor, I might carve or chip away at a piece of marble. I don't have marble here this morning. A true artist, when they decide to fashion something, they, they have a model, Okay, that they, they look at and they try to make this thing look like their model. Maybe it's just a model in their head or an idea of what they want to create. Um, where I'm not actually a sculptor or even an amateur potter. I decided to start real simple this morning. Um, so I searched the internet to see, to find anything that I could stand in front of you guys and make something um, from my clay. Uh, into the image or into a picture that I wanted to recreate, okay? The only problem was that of all the pictures I could find on the internet, and you'd be amazed at how much time I spent, even on the children's pages, looking at like Play-Doh models, everything seemed a little too complicated for me, um, for my amateur skills, proving that it's a good thing that I'm not the sculptor nor the one whose image you bear, since all the images of the Play-Doh models that I could find were way too complicated for me, I decided to draw my own. And uh, any of you guys that have played reverse charades with me know that I did not inherit my grandmother's ability to draw. So this is what I came up with. You laugh, you'd be surprised how much time that took me. Um, so if that's my image... And this is my clay. We had a couple of problems already, right? The first being that my clay doesn't look even to be of the same character of the image. It, it doesn't look to be of the same substance. It first has to be changed from the inside out. It begins to change its character, its composition, and its appearance 
I hope. Let's see if this works. If I mold it and change its shape. Work with me, guys. Oh, this is a mess. Hold on. Ah. I told Nicole this morning on the way to church, I thought about practicing this at home. Oh, look. See, this is why, where's Rob? This is why you couldn't touch this up here. Okay. Ugh, I need somebody strong. This is another reason I should have had Matt do this. You can see what I'm going for, though, right? No. <laughs> oh, I meant to ask you if you could fill in for me next week, Ron. Oh, we're getting there. Oh, it's working. All right, you can see a difference in this from where we started. It's not an immediate change, is it? It didn't happen just like that. It didn't transition from this to that. Oh, my goodness, I got another ball here. Now, as I work it and as I mold it, it's starting to look like my image in the most basic of ways starting to take on the character of it. Uh, And I'll keep shaping it so that it will start to take on the same image. If I were a real sculptor, like Matt, probably have a hammer up here or a chisel or maybe some carving tools in this. Um, So the process of beautification, we're getting there process of beautification with those tools might actually be painful. Not to a a piece of marble or clay or homemade Play-Doh. I've never made homemade Play-Doh. That was cool. They didn't have it in the cave I grew up in with the wolves. But the process of, of shaping can be painful especially if it's marble and things are chipped off. We are all marred. You know, as, as the Lord chisels pieces of the old Brian away to return to the dirt, I might not like it. And I might resist it. And I just keep getting reshaped and remold it closer and closer to that image. But there's parts of me that are marred, that are imperfect. You know, I wasn't the first to come up with this. God actually spoke the same of Israel. Back in the book of Jeremiah, it says, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying... Arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will cause you to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hands of the potter. 
So he made it again into another vessel. Seemed good to the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, is the clay in the potter's hand. So you are in my hand, O house of Israel. And this is what Paul's saying to us. Again, the change. Sometimes it seems frustratingly slow. And you can't even really tell if it's happening. Maybe it's not happening at the speed you want it to. Maybe people wonder if it's really real. Is it going to happen? Is this transformation there? But we're being shaped. Sometimes squeezed and sometimes pressed. But it's for a purpose. We're being transformed into something new. I should have had some assistance up here. Uh. Hold on, I got to look at my model. Okay. Again, guys, I'm not the sculptor. Yes. I give you guys I give you guys a lot of examples of should have. A lot of uh confidence that you can do the things the Lord's called you to. All right. Here's the other thing. Here's the issue if we let other people shape us. Or we bear an image other than God. It doesn't end up anything like the model as you're going to see here in a second. And don't think this is because I'm under pressure. I'm really doing my best here. What do you think? Okay, let me ask you a question. Is that an exact duplicate? Am I going to be an exact duplicate of the Lord this side of heaven? No. But, it, but I look a little more like him <laughs> than when I started. And, and that's the point, guys. You know, Paul talks about us being the fragrance of Christ. But he's saying over time, as people look at you, they're going to see less and less of you and more and more of Jesus. There's a, book, there's a verse in Philippians that says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we so eagerly wait the Savior, the Lord Jesus. That's another one that... Okay. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. 
it sounds like a painful process where it can be kind of scary letting go of you and letting the Lord transform you until we realize whose lives our hands are in. If you've indeed fully submitted, oh boy, your life to the potter, to the spirit of the Lord where there's liberty and freedom. There's no fear in that. We won't go any further than this, but I, I want you to see this next verse. The first verse in chapter four says, therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. If our sufficiency, guys, is in us and our accomplishments, we have every reason to lose heart. If we accept that we have this ministry and we've received it from the Lord in the same way that we've received mercy from the Lord, we don't lose heart. We walk in the confidence of our calling because our sufficiency is fully in him, not us. Let's pray. Father, Lord, thank you for the grace of your people and the power of your word. And Lord, I pray that this silly little picture gives us but a glimpse of what you expect from us. Lord, as you mold and shape and maybe we get squeezed into uncomfortable places that we realize there's a purpose and a plan in it. It's not just to poke and jab us or slap us around, but it's to make us more like you. And not just for our sakes, Lord, but as the world around us that so desperately needs good news, Lord, needs the gospel, needs you, that they would see you in us, Lord, that they would see this this transformation, slow as it may be and as imperfect as it seems at times, but an undeniable epistle, Lord, an undeniable proof that you're real, that our relationship with you is real. So Lord, use our lives more than our words, we pray, as you continue to mold and shape us. Lord, give us the, the simple faith it takes to just relax in your hands and allow you to do the work you desire to do in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take bids on this for our roof. <laughs>